This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Um, so there's a very important part of church leadership that I'm pretty sure they don't have a seminary course for, and it's this, making Sunday morning announcements. There's so much going on in the life of a church, especially one like this, and there's this golden opportunity I have every Sunday morning where you're gathered together in one place, paying attention, hopefully. And over the past 20 years, I have made so many announcements on Sunday mornings because we've got a crowd together and we can tell you what's going on. I mean, and I've done ridiculous things to make sure I get the message across. One time, um, I put a hard hat on and went over there up in a lift, boop, 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 in the middle of a sermon. I've written songs to try to get messages across. Does anyone remember Come sing in Rez's choir. Father Nate Beasley, uh, who leads Cornerstone West Loop, another church in our diocese, he tries to keep his people's attention during Sunday, mornings Sunday morning announcements by getting them to cheer and whoop. And if you've been at a service that my wife attends recently, you would notice that she is also trying to get that tradition started here at Res at all. Father Matt experienced that during the announcements at the 8.30 this morning. I have announced so many things to you on Sunday mornings because we've got you together in one place, a big group. I've said the phrase churchres.org slash roughly a bajillion times. Because if we want to get the word out, nothing, meets, nothing beats a captive audience with all our people gathered together on a Sunday morning. Our passage this morning is known as the Annunciation, which is an old kind of fancy way of saying the announcement. And this, this is the big one. The Lord has sent the angel Gabriel to come and announce the fulfillment of a promise that he made to David a thousand years ago. We heard that in our first lesson this morning. And the prophets continued to declare this promise, that the Lord would raise up a descendant from the line of King David who would rule over the people of Israel forever. But there's been 400 years of silence, and the Jewish people are under foreign occupation. And here comes Gabriel to announce that this is the moment, and the Lord is ready to enact his plan. But what a peculiar way of making the announcement. I mean, what was the marketing plan? Where's the crowd? It's just Mary, this young, poor Jewish girl from Nazareth, a rather insignificant town. Mary has no power, no influence, no money. She refers to herself in Scripture as one of low estate, lowly. But the Lord sends Gabriel to make the announcement just to lowly Mary and come to find out as she hears what God's plan is, not only is she the only one to hear the plan, she is the plan. Gabriel comes to Mary, starting in chapter, uh, in chapter, two, chapter 1, verse 30 in the Gospel of Luke, and this is his message. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So perhaps God announces his, the way that God announces his plan reveals something about the plan itself. The Lord's first step was not to get the word out, but to get the word in. One lowly Jewish girl. That's the mystery of the incarnation. The Lord's plan of salvation starts with the lowly because that's who he came for and that's how he came. So in Advent, we're reminded that we are a people getting ready, preparing as Christians to receive Jesus for his second coming, his second Advent. And here we have Mary, the first Christian, the first to accept Jesus, the Messiah, and to have him live within her. And Mary disciples us on what it looks like to receive Jesus. And what we see in the model from Mary is lowliness. So lowliness was originally a word that described those who had a a lower or disregarded standing in the world. And that certainly applies to Mary. But let's, let's just talk about Mary's lowliness just for a second here. Because on the one hand, resurrection is a big and somewhat diverse church in terms of our life experience. We have people in our community who've lived lots of different lives. So I, I know that there are some of you out there, when you hear the description of Mary's life experience, you do have points of connection. But on the other hand, if we're honest, we are largely a middle-class mostly white church in Wheaton, and many of us probably don't have an immediate connection with Mary's lived experience. So the first thing I want to say is that lowliness, the lowliness that the Lord sees in Mary, for which he bestows favor upon her twice in this passage, her lowliness goes much deeper than just her earthly circumstances. Mary models what I like to call a kingdom lowliness. And this is what the Lord sees in her. It's what he favors. But let's also be honest that affluence, a comfortable life, can get us very disconnected from kingdom lowliness. It's often our Christian brothers and sisters from other parts of the world, places like Nigeria or the Middle East or other countries where people have experienced oppression, poverty, starvation, These brothers and sisters are often way out ahead of us in understanding this lesson of kingdom lowliness. It's also been the experience of many black, Latino, and immigrant brothers and sisters in Christ in this country, and they can truly disciple us in kingdom lowliness. Because those of us who have lived a life of relative ease, we're more susceptible to losing sight of this kingdom lowliness. So this morning, let's let Mary disciple all of us in kingdom lowliness. Because in the kingdom of God, lowliness is not just something the Lord overcomes, it's why he came. It's an asset. Lowliness is the very posture from which the Lord begins his work. The Lord starts with lowly people and he lifts them up. So in this interaction between Gabriel and Mary, she has two responses to Gabriel's message. And I think her two responses reveal to us two key aspects of this kingdom lowliness. So let me just start with a definition for you 
of kingdom lowliness. First of all, as we see in Mary's first response in verse 34, the lowly recognize their emptiness. And then secondly, in Mary's second response, verse 38, the lowly receive God's purposes. They recognize their emptiness and they receive God's purposes. So let's start with Mary's first response. So Gabriel brings this message to Mary that she will conceive and bear a son. Call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be the son of the Most High. He will reign over the nation of Israel forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary's first response comes in a form of a question there in verse 34. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? So is there an initial sense of doubt in Mary's question? Maybe. But one thing is certain in her statement. Mary recognizes that what, the ga- what Gabriel promises that she's going to conceive in her womb and bear a son. It's something she's unable to make happen. It's impossible, literally, physically. She's a virgin. It's biology. God's great promise, though, draws her to a recognition of her emptiness, her own inability to bring that promise to fulfillment. And that's just the posture that the Lord's looking to work with. The Lord is looking for Marys, those who, as they seek to be faithful to their life calling that they receive from the Lord, they're fully aware of their emptiness, their utter need of help, their need of the Lord. Those who can turn to the Lord and say, Lord, how will this be? I'm not capable. Haven't you found yourself in situations in which you need to pray prayers just like that? Lord, how will this be? I cannot reconcile this relationship on my own. Lord, I cannot get past this painful life circumstance on my own. Lord, the task that you've given to me is something I'm not capable of. It's beyond my ability to do. I know I've been there. Four years ago, I was the worship pastor. And I loved it. And I was, I think, halfway decent at it. But then the Lord told me through many people and many circumstances that he was also calling me to take on more spiritual leadership. This was a call that forced me to confront and recognize my emptiness. Uh, I can assure you there were many prayers that went up to the Lord that sounded something like Mary's question. Lord, how will this be since I am a musician? But seriously, if you've lived long enough, I think you'll agree that it starts to feel like the Lord ordained circumstances that cause us to confront our emptiness. Don't you have a circumstance like that in your life right now? A challenging or wayward child? No job. A seemingly impossible job. Our emptiness can be revealed in our grief can be revealed in our sickness. I know many of you have experienced that over the last several months. It can be revealed in the realization of our own sin, those places where we've tried to fill up the emptiness with something other than the Lord. And where the Lord is revealing your emptiness 
is the place from which he says, I can do a mighty work, something that you are not capable of accomplishing. So if you don't sense a connection with your emptiness, let me just recommend one simple way that the Lord has used in my own life to help me to stay connected to my own emptiness. Fasting and prayer. In Mary's Magnificat, she also refers to this emptiness as hunger. She says the Lord fills the hungry with good things. It's amazing how a few hours of physical hunger will remind you of how needy and how empty you are before the Lord. You might find your prayers when you fast somewhat small and weak, like I often do. And that's a good thing. Because lowliness starts with recognizing our emptiness. And it's from that posture that we're poised to see the Lord lift us up. We're ready to discover the miracle that the Lord is ready to work in our lives. So see in Gabriel's response to Mary's question, how the Lord is ready to lift her up, what the Lord is going to give to Mary. Starting in verse 35, he says, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And he continues, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And then finally, for nothing will be impossible with God. So what is, what is the Lord going to give to Mary? What does Gabriel promise? Well, first, we see that he promises that Mary will receive the Lord's presence. Mary is empty before the Lord, and the Lord is ready to fill that emptiness with his spirit, his very life, his presence. The Lord is going to do in her what she could not do on her own. But that's not all. If that wasn't enough, the Lord is going to give Mary a sign of his power. He's going to encourage her. Mary's cousin, much older, beyond childbearing years, who has never had a child who everyone thought couldn't, she's pregnant. The Lord is going to display his power to build up Mary's faith. And lastly, Gabriel gives Mary a promise, a word she can hold on to. Nothing, he says, will be impossible with God. So it strikes me that while, of course, Mary's circumstance is truly unique, these are still the same gifts that the Lord gives to you and to me and to all who come empty before the Lord, realizing that they cannot work out their salvation for themselves. The Lord has given us his presence in our baptism. He's given us the Holy Spirit and filled our emptiness with his very presence, enabling us to do what we could not do on our own. And he reveals his power to us in signs and wonders along the way to encourage us to build up our faith. Haven't you seen that in your own life as you've walked the life of faith? I mean, we quickly forget the signs and wonders that the Lord has done, but they're there. They're not every day, but he has encouraged us along the way with signs of his power. And the Lord gives us the promise of his word that it will always accomplish that which it purposes, he purposes, that nothing will be impossible with God. 
I love that future tense. Nothing will be impossible with God. It never has been, it isn't now, and it never will be. We've received that same promise that Mary received. These are the gifts that we've been given. The Lord lifts up the lowly, and lowliness starts with recognizing our emptiness. But it doesn't end there. Turning to Mary's second response after the promise of these gifts, see how Mary also reveals that the lowly receive God's purposes. Look at Mary's response in verse 38. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Notice Mary's posture. It's one of a servant. It's low. And Mary, she receives it all. The gift of the Lord's presence, his power, his promises. So, can I just be transparent for a moment with you? Because I've sat with this passage for the last couple of weeks. And I asked myself, would that have been my response? Is that my response? And at first it seems obvious. Wow, Lord, thank you for these amazing gifts. Yes. But I think if I'm fully honest, my response would be a little more like this. Thank you, Lord, for the gifts that you're offering me. Wow. I've got a few follow-up questions for you. Like, what happens after he's born? How do we get from, like, there to he's the everlasting king? What does that process look like? How do Joseph and I raise this kid? How do you raise a kid who never sins? My son Drew said to me this week, he said, Dad, Jesus never sinned, which means every time that Mary asked him to take out the trash, he said yes. And I said, wow, well, actually, we need to take the trash out right now, buddy. Could you do that? And he said, not right now. I'm eating breakfast. (laughs) But seriously, it's important to notice what Gabriel does not reveal to Mary. He says nothing about how it will unfold. What happens between birth and fulfillment? And here's the thing. Mary doesn't ask. The promise of these gifts is spoken, and Mary believes it. The path is unknown, and Mary receives it. And she receives it as a servant. And that's all she can do because there's no action step for her to take. And there's no more time for questions because the moment Mary says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord, be it to me according to your word, the angel is gone. No details about the path ahead. And what was Mary's path like? It was rather difficult. There was suffering and pain and uncertainty. A a sword pierced her own heart, as Simeon said. Mary was the mother of the king, but she didn't live the typical life of the queen mother. She did not wear fancy clothes and ride in a carriage through a parade while she waved at the people. Mary lived a life of suffering. She did not know the path ahead, but she said yes. She received God's purposes. And this is the story of the life of faith. It's personal for each one of us, for everyone who has come empty before the Lord, because when he fills you, he fills you with a calling on your life a unique one. 
for you. And we receive those promises. They're beautiful promises, but we don't know the path ahead. And sometimes the path has suffering involved. Sometimes the path is confusing and difficult. But I think the Lord keeps the path unknown because it's, in it's his intention that we will continuously turn to him. Because we don't graduate from the school of lowliness. Mary's response here is an everyday prayer along an uncertain path. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It's the right posture of our ongoing relationship with the Lord. We are empty. He is our fullness. If you did not hear Father Brett's sermon on Advent 2 about the Holy Spirit's continual coming to us in our life of faith, I highly recommend it. Because you don't graduate from the school of lowliness. That's the way the Lord intends it, that we might stay near to him at every turn in the path, on the mountaintop and in the valley. And how similar Mary's prayer. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. How similar that prayer is to the prayer her son prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not as I will, but as you will. Christians are called to be lowly because we're called to be like Christ, Christ Jesus, who Paul says to the Philippians, emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. That Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient even unto death. But that God, therefore, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The Lord calls us to lowliness so that we might be like the Lord Jesus. And from that place of lowliness, just like Jesus, the Lord will lift us up. So Mary followed the sign that Gabriel had given her. And she saw a sign of God's power. Her cousin Elizabeth was pregnant. And this experience built Mary's faith. It encouraged her on her path. And out of that experience, we receive Mary's song of praise, the Magnificat, her testimony that the Lord lifts up the lowly. Mary sings, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the lowly estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary disciples us. She models for us something that we in our own lives can imitate, a kingdom lowliness, recognizing our emptiness, receiving God's purposes, revealed and not yet revealed. It's my sense that some of you need a lifting up this morning. During our, our prayers of the people this morning, Deacon Margie is going to lead us in a prayer through Mary's song of praise, her Magnificat. And it's my prayer that as you come lowly before the Lord, you would sense him lifting you up. That he who fills the hungry with good things, as Mary sings, would fill you afresh with the presence of his Holy Spirit. 
that he who has shown strength with his arm would reveal his power in your life and through signs and wonders. And that he who fulfilled his promises, as Mary said, to Abraham and his offspring would give you that same assurance that he gave to Mary, that nothing will be impossible with God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.